You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. I thank you for joining me every day. I know some of you watch faithfully every day, and I really do appreciate that. And if you would, hit that little thumbs up button. That'll help us tell our story to other people and recommend us to as many people as you can think of. And uh, we want to build our network. The church was a surprise to the people of planet Earth. It was a surprise to the Jewish believers even. Uh, We know it was certainly a surprise to those who didn't believe, but it was a total and complete surprise. It caught everybody off guard. It was not what they expected would come. And so Jesus sets all kinds of parameters for the church, what it is, how it operates, what it's like. He gives us other relationships so that we can draw parallels to what he's doing. Uh, with the church, and one of the strongest ones is found in the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. And students of um, uh, of uh, traditions and the history of the Jewish people while they were in the land, and listen to me, while they were in the land, in the land, there were some things that they did that, that did not pertain and didn't happen, didn't follow through afterwards. So there's a lot we can learn from this. This is a Galilean wedding. I'm not saying Galilee was the only place that it would have happened, but the Galileans certainly honored these traditions. And here we go, John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now why would Jesus say that? He was saying you believe in a God you can't see. Now you do believe in me, but I'm here with you all the time. But he's basically telling them, I am going to be like the Father whom you can't see. There's a time coming soon when you won't see me either. That's why he's saying this. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now listen to this sentence. I go to prepare a place for you couple of things he's already done. He's already said, I am going to my father's house. He's greater than I. I'm not the greatest one. The father's greater than I. And then he says, I'm going there. And he said, when I do go, I'm going to prepare something for you. Those are words that they had heard many, many times before. They were the words that every bridegroom said to a bride as he entered into a marriage contract with her. And so he is using this same language to describe the way that he will interact with his church. And he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. In other words, he's telling them that by having eternal life and by believing, they understand the way. They have the way. That is all you need to know. You have eternal life. You have the way down. You don't have to worry about the way. The minute you breathe your last breath, God takes over from there, and you don't have to worry about your travel arrangements to the next life. So this is the revelation of a Jewish wedding ceremony, particularly Galilean. Now, 
The father of the groom played an important role in the choosing of the bride, not just in the way he trained his son to evaluate character and to choose the right person, but very often he made suggestions as to who the son might choose. And although today's culture would uh, completely frown at that, uh, it it wasn't a bad thing. Uh, In fact, many people, even today, in certain cultures uh, experience arranged marriages. And by all accounts, they have higher favorability ratings than what we have in the West. Uh, So the father of the groom played an important role in the choosing of the bride. The groom also had a say-so, though. This wasn't forced upon him. He could say, no, I don't want her. Uh, And so he had that opportunity to speak up. The groom's father then, once the two of them had agreed on the bride, the groom's father arranged a meeting with the bride's family. And so the father of the bride would come and the presence of the bride. I'm sure that there were elder brothers there or younger brothers. The brother was considered a custodian of the sister. He took good care of her. He watched over her. Uh, the bride had to be purchased with a dowry. Now that it needs some explanation because she was not a slave, and and this was not looked upon as uh, the purchase of a slave. In those days, there was no social security, none. People didn't have large retirement accounts. They didn't have resources to back them up for when they were older in their old age. There were a few richer people who had substance, but most people didn't. They depended on their children to help them in their own age. Well, when a woman was taken and moved to another home, to another family, she became a part of that family structure. She was no longer a part of the support structure for the the family that she came from. So the dowry was a payment uh, for what she might have contributed to the welfare of the help of her parents and so forth, and it placed great value on her. Now, she wasn't owned by any stretch, and she wasn't treated as property. This is not slavery. This is a recognition of you are of great worth to your family. I am paying your family for the opportunity to take you into my family. I want to reimburse them because I know what you would contribute there. That's kind of the idea behind this. Now, sons were expected to care for their parents, but the bride was going to become the wife of another man, another household, and so there's not a lot she could have done for her parents. So when this happened... um, there was a, a, an amazing thing laid down, amazing pattern laid down for the church. And, and, and Paul seizes on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20. He said, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? And he's saying... We have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We're not our own. For you are bought with a price. And this is language that describes not the purchase of a slave. It describes a dowry payment that is made to bring a bride into another home. We are brought to another home. Oh, man, this is so good. And it's exactly uh, what Jesus was talking about here in John 14. He was leading into this. Now, the bride had to consent to all of this. She didn't want to marry the guy. She didn't have to. And, uh, but she consented to the arrangement 
after a contract was read. And the, the young man could uh, embellish the contract. He could make all kinds of promises that he would do this and that. He might say she'll never have to work outdoors and uh, she won't have to take care of the livestock. There, there are loads of things like that he could have put in the contract to tell her as much as possible how he would treat her. And this contract was called a ketubah, and in it were the terms of the relationship. That's a picture of the New Testament. But it was also, as it was, it was a scroll, not a, not a book, but it's a scroll. And as it's unrolled, there are all these little things attached to it, little rings, maybe a nose ring, maybe a, another uh, a ring for the finger, uh, the toe rings, all kinds of little jewels and trinkets and things that she would like. And uh, these were little gifts. I think they're pictures of the gifts of the Spirit that were given at the beginning of the relationship that we have. Now, the bride then drank wine, and when the cup was offered to her, and this is a picture of communion, it is a way of showing, I am submitted to what you did. I recognize I'm not my own. I am now uh, a part of your family, even though the marriage was not consummated. But she accepted by drinking the cup of wine. Now, the groom would say, I go to prepare a place for you. These were the words that were part of the ceremony. And then he went home to build a room. If he's not so wealthy, he builds just a room. Uh, if he's wealthy, he builds an entire house, depending on his resources. His father is the one who chooses the day of his return. Uh, in other words, he can't go off for two or three months and get homesick for his bride or get lovesick for his bride and go get her, and his room's not complete. Uh, this, this is very important. Uh, scripture in the book of Proverbs says, Prepare your work in the field without, and afterward build your house. And what that means is you need to get your career established before you're ready to marry. The worst thing you can do is try to live on love in the beginning where neither one of you have a real employment. And girls, especially if you have employment, he doesn't and hasn't shown any ability to provide. This is not a person you want to get hooked up with right away. You want to see some consistency because being a provider is an essential part of God's character. God is a provider. If we who are created in the image and the likeness of God are going to faithfully reveal his character, we too have to be providers. And if you have a young man who's very good-looking, funny personality, he does everything but this, reject him. This is not who you want. You want someone who can be a provider. I didn't say you had to marry someone you don't like. I just said that being a provider is a key part of what you're looking for. Now, I have two sons-in-laws who took my daughters. And the one thing I love about them both, they're both Charlie Hustle. I mean, they get with it. <laughs> they know how to work. Uh, the father was the one who chose the day. Now, the earthly father, he couldn't look forward. He doesn't have foreknowledge. He doesn't know exactly when that room is going to be finished. What he's looking for is a set of natural circumstances to pull the trigger to say, okay, now you can go get her. And he wants to be able to walk in, see that everything is finished. There's a place for them to sleep in the room. There's a door on the room. The windows are covered. They're, they're, the room is filled with things that the bride can use. It is a place where she could be comfortable. And the father's not going to let his son go get the bride until that's done. So it's not that he knows the exact day because he's an earthly man, but he knows exactly what he is looking for. That's what's important. And so uh, that's what you see. Then what we have is the heavenly father, because of his great foreknowledge, he knows the exact day 
And he's the only one who knows the exact day. And he's the one who turns and says to the son, now you may go and reclaim your bride. So think about this. Uh, she didn't have a set wedding day. She did not have a set wedding day. This is unlike what we do in the West. Uh, so she had to keep herself ready. She had to keep her dress ready. She burned an oil lamp in the window to show that she was faithful. But she got just a little bit of warning. At the very end, there was warning. And there was the friend of the bridegroom who came running and he said, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And so there was a little bit of warning at the end. And the bride would have just enough warning to prepare herself. Um, um, imagine that the, the, the groom shows up and the bride has absolutely no warning, not even a little bit, not even 30 minutes worth. And, and he has to tap on her window and, and she has to get up in the middle of the night and get ready and get all this stuff. And, and so it's, it's very hasty. So this guy serves a great purpose, the friend of the bridegroom. And that spirit is in the church today. I see the friend of the bridegroom in the church. The bride had just enough warning to prepare herself, and then the groom would rush in and seize her. The word for this is harpezo. It means to catch up. Uh, we translate it as rapture in, in uh, the New Testament. And this was often done at night. So when we're talking about the church, we say that it was a mystery. It was completely mysterious to the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, they didn't see it coming. But this language and this relationship between bride and groom gave them an amazingly accurate picture of how this relationship would be taken from the, from the engagement and espousal to the fulfillment. And this was something they were thoroughly familiar with. This is something that's very common in the way that Jesus taught. So... I want you to see how all of this works. This was a part of the mystery. The church was something that they didn't understand. Wow. All the time I have for today, but we're going to come back tomorrow and pick up on this and continue our study here. You're going to know so much more about the church and appreciate the church a lot more than you ever had when we get done with this. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.